Welcome to Expositional Excerpts. I'm your host, Matthew Pilch. I pastor Grace Fellowship Baptist Church in Port St. Lucie, Florida. Let's dive into the Word. Today we will begin looking into Genesis 4, verses 17 to 26, which would take us down to the end of the chapter. May not get through all of this today, but we want to start off the discussion talking about civilization, because as Cain leaves under the curse that the Lord has brought upon him, but also with his divine protection, we see the rise of civilization. And we see a fascination with human civilization. Take, for example, uh, this people known as the Hittites. And interestingly, I bring them up specifically because prior to the late 1800s, they were denied to have existed because the only record of them was in the Bible until there was an archaeological discovery that confirmed their existence. And uh, people generally, as a default, because of their enmity against God and uh, the hardness of their heart and want to do anything they can to uh, discount the Bible and anything that God has said, uh, their, their natural proclivity is to deny whatever the Bible says unless they get outside verification. And so often... Uh, the Bible will come through. It might take a long time, centuries maybe, and 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 yet it does. Uh, interesting here regarding the Hittites, uh, this from an article about this discovery of them, little was known of the Hittites other than the reference from the Bible and fragmentary documentation from Egypt until the late 19th century when excavations began at Bogoskoy, uh, which is modern-day Bagazkale in Turkey, I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, which was once the site of Hattusa, the capital of the Hittite Empire. This very important complex and those who built it, along with their vast empire, however, remained almost unknown until their writings were discovered by the Irish missionary William Wright in 1884, and then by the German archaeologist Hugo Winkler in 1906. By the year 1912, Winkler had recovered 10,000 clay tablets from the Hittite royal archives. And so now we have that evidence. Uh, What about other societies besides the Hittite civilization? Uh, You have the Egyptian civilization, the ancient Egyptians. Uh, We learn of them through hieroglyphics and wall murals, but also through their tombs. Civilizations that are long gone are cause for great intrigue and The lost city of Atlantis, for example, or the city surrounding Mount Vesuvius that was consumed and eerily preserved upon a sudden volcanic eruption. But that leads us to a question, just what is a civilization? Well, evolutionary theory tells us the following about civilization. It says, a civilization uh, is any complex society characterized by urban development, symbolic, 
communication forms, specifically writing systems, and a perceived separation from and domination over the natural environment by a cultural elite. Civilizations are intimately associated with and often further defined by other socio-political economic characteristics, including centralization, the domestication of both humans and other organisms, specialization of labor, culturally ingrained ideologies of progress and supremacism, monumental architecture, taxation, societal dependence upon farming as an agricultural practice, and expansionism. Historically, and by the way, this is just taken from a a Wikipedia article on the definition of civilization. It goes on, a civilization was a so-called advanced culture in contrast to more supposedly primitive cultures. And in this broad sense, a civilization consists or contrasts, excuse me, with non-centralized tribal societies, including cultures, uh, cultures of nomadic pastoralists or hunter-gatherers. As an uncountable noun, civilization also refers to the process of a society developing into a centralized, urbanized, and stratified structure. They're often organized in densely populated settlements divided into hierarchical societal classes or social classes with ruling elite and subordinate urban and rural populations goes on, right? Uh, Civilization concentrates power, extending human control over the rest of nature, including other human beings. So uh, there's much more that could be said, but that's generally how uh, secular evolutionary definitions uh, go regarding civilization. Now, what is so fascinating, and by the way, it's not that we completely disagree with that, but there's some some interesting things that come from that. What's so fascinating is the when and where of civilization according to non-believers. So earliest civilization occurs in Mesopotamia according to these secular sources. If you go on and read uh, that article at length, and, and you look at anthropological uh, sources, they're going to cite the earliest civilization as being in Mesopotamia. Well, where is Mesopotamia? It's right where the Garden of Eden was, the modern-day Middle East. Fascinating reflections follow this line of thinking because there is really no rhyme or reason as to why civilization would spring up. You have to think about that first, not just the where, but why. Why would it just randomly happen? If it is natural that man, who, according to evolutionists, is nothing more than an animal, as the school books and teachers would like us to believe, if if natural man would congregate together with man and eventually civilization would spring from it, then why don't we observe this with the rest of the animal kingdom? That's something that we ought to ponder, because they should be organizing themselves into civilizations as well. Sure, we can train a monkey to identify some colors or words. We can teach a parrot to mimic human sounds, yet without comprehension. We observe some semblance of organization with ants and bees with regard to work. But what of controls over the rest of nature? What, what about those ideologies that were mentioned in the Wikipedia article? That's as secular as it gets. What of domestication and specialized labor? What of learning new tasks? What about taxation? (laughs) The idea of civilization is something foreign to the rest of creation. That's something to think about. It's not found on the ocean floor, nor is it among the beasts of the world. Civilization is unique to mankind. One of the fascinating aspects of civilization is the start of it, which we see right here. Take the people of Israel, for instance. In a few short chapters, 
we are poised to meet Abram. He will have a son in his old age, Isaac. Isaac will have two sons. God will only reiterate his covenant that he made with Abram, now Abraham, with his son Jacob. And later on, Jacob is named Israel. And and we get that. And, and he has a lot of sons. But even at this point, all that we have is a large family, 70 people, Exodus 1.5. And a large family is not a people. Uh, such is it when the book of Genesis ends. But when the story picks up in Exodus after 430 years, they are a great people, quote, exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them, Exodus 1.7. It seems safe to say that they have grown beyond the family label and are now a people. And from Exodus forward, they are treated as a people and function as a civilization with all the aspects that have already been outlined. So the real question to which the evolutionary humanists have no answer is this, when did civilization actually start? They find evidence of it early on, but supposedly cannot pinpoint it exactly, saying that modern man has been around for at least another 50,000 years, but without civilization. Well, it seems that the Bible, if taken literally, provides a very reasonable answer. God created this world and placed his image bearers, that is, mankind, in the empty world to populate it. They were not some early primitive Homo sapiens or Australopithecines. No, they were intelligent. They communicated with God. They were tempted by sin. They made a decision based on existential pleasure rather than raw, gut-felt needs. Adam and Eve weren't created tens of thousands of years ago or millions of years ago, but probably around 6,000 years ago. Uh, They have two sons, or they had two sons. One was killed. The other one, Cain, lives on, according to our text, and they probably had others by the time that this sin occurred. And it sounds similar number-wise to the story of Adam and his immediate family and descendants, which are still a family. So what we are seeing right here in verse 17, right after the fall, is the birth of civilization. Now, all of that was a broad introduction, but it's very, very important because as civilization now is a reality upon the earth, we're going to note some characteristics about it. The first thing that we'll get into, and we'll probably have to end here uh, with this podcast today, is that as civilization occurs on earth, we have first noted in verse 17 that the cultural mandate is fulfilled. The text says this, Cain knew his wife and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. Let's just stop there. So we have the cultural mandate fulfilled. What what was that? The cultural mandate is uh, to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Now, Interestingly, uh, we we understand here that, that this is the mandate. It's it's actually hardwired into humanity this desire to to have companionship and to procreate. And in addition to that, we have to understand that one of the things that's also going to to happen here, and it, we have to understand that there's this tension between the reality of the fall and now this enmity with God, and yet. The idea that God has also uh, created us for eternity, 
And so we naturally are inclined to fulfill some of the things that he has placed within us, and then there are other things that are at war with us. Interestingly, in Ecclesiastes 3.11, we read that God has put eternity on the hearts of man. And one of the things that we have to think about is that that's hardwired into us. That's not something that man has to stop and think about. It's there. It's inherent in our very being. We are reminded of eternity every time somebody dies. We question our purpose and our lives because we have eternity on our hearts. Knowing Cain and his background and the hardness of his heart when he was given the opportunity to correct himself before the Lord, it doesn't seem that he was well-suited to strive to live according to God's mandates. And this further proves the point that some things are hardwired into us at creation. God had instituted two things prior to the fall, marriage, Genesis 2.24, and the cultural mandate, Genesis 1.28, the first part, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and uh, we, we know that Genesis 1.28 took place on day six. Furthermore, Genesis 2 is a closer, closer look at the timetable of day six. We see that when Eve was finished and presented to Adam, the marriage actually most likely preceded the issuance of the cultural mandate. So God blessed them and he said, what? Be fruitful and multiply, right? In other words, you cannot fulfill the mandate to be fruitful and multiply apart from the institution of marriage. Marriage has to be present for that. This alone should be enough to cause us to pause and to ponder the current state of society when marriage is scoffed, mocked, ridiculed, called old-fashioned and homophobic unless you happen to be in a so-called gay marriage. And then all of a sudden it's okay. So this goes all the way back to the fabric of creation because this institution predates the fall. So we see the cultural mandate fulfilled. First of all, we see marriage. And you say marriage. Yes, Cain knew his wife. We've already discussed this biblical verb here, this Hebrew verb to know, and what it means. Uh, it is the Bible's way of communicating this intercourse uh, copulation. Uh, it is the, the relationship designed within marriage that God had intended. Adam knew his wife and she conceived and brought forth a child, remembered all that. So now that same verb is in action here, but what we're zeroing in on is the fact that she was his wife, okay? And what this tells us, again, this is the birth of society. This is the birth of civilization. We don't see this in the animal world around us. We've already asked some of those pertinent questions, but when animals procreate, they just simply do it. There's no marriage, right? Uh, animals just procreate. That's what they do. But when Cain knew his wife, this is set in contrast with modern evolutionary thinking and their account of early man. This is the second generation of man. Adam and Eve were married and so were Cain and his wife. They were married. The Bible calls his wife, doesn't name his wife, but calls this woman his wife, not just a woman. He knew a woman. No, it was his wife. But what we will see here is that uh, this institution itself will be marred before the end of this section. Now, it does lead us naturally to ask this, what is the origin of Cain's wife? Who was she? Well, as we already said, the scripture does not name her. We are left with one simple solution. She was his sister. We've already discussed that Adam and Eve already had other daughters at the very least, maybe other sons. 
at this point, maybe a lot because it seems that there are lots of people in the world. Remember, his fear was that others would discover him and want to kill him. So he already knew that there were lots of people around. So they are, but there's no other conclusion than it has to be one of his relatives. And we know Adam and Eve went on to have more sons and daughters. They lived into their ninth century, and one of their daughters was the wife of Cain. Now, what's really interesting with this is this gets us into a discussion about incest, and people are like, well, you can't do that. Well, okay, uh, we can't do that now for sure. But incest in the Bible, the first prohibition of incest is actually seen in Leviticus chapter 18, verses 6 to 18. Prior to this, there are many incestuous relationships seen first here in this passage, but even with Abraham and Sarah, who is his half-sister, Genesis 20, verse 12, Lot and his daughters, Genesis 19, David's son Amnon with his half-sister Tamar, 2 Samuel 13, okay, uh, there are laws on the books in all 50 states regarding incest and marriage. For instance, in Florida, any person related by lineal consanguinity or a brother or sister, uncle, aunt, nephew, or niece. Uh, in other words, they cannot be married to a direct relative. Why? Why can't they do that? Why is it prohibited later and not early? Well, be- because many generations removed from Adam and Eve, uh, when close generations reproduce, the chance of genetic mutations and the abnormalities greatly increase. Now, I'm not a molecular biologist, but I have done enough reading to know that the DNA code of our ancestors even 2,000 years ago was much richer today, more so 4,000 years ago. So 4,000 years ago or even 6,000 years ago, Adam and Eve, between the two of them, contained the genetic code in their DNA for the entire human race up to this point and for as long as it will be until the Lord returns. From their rich DNA, brother and sister could marry without fear and under divine protection of mutation. It would be generations later, hundreds of years, before the Lord would make the laws concerning incest, maybe even over a thousand years. In fact, a quick perusal of some of the reference material seems to indicate that uh, it is the Bible which first makes binding prohibitions against the act, again, God in his providence and protection. Now, They are fulfilling the mandate because she conceived and bore Enoch. Now, one thing to note here is that God blessed them in spite of sin. Enoch, or sorry, not Enoch, but Cain is a great sinner and God has already shown his divine protection by saying, I'm going to protect you, but now he's blessing him with children even in this. Try and put yourself in the position of over Cain, who had just committed the very first murder, murder of your image bearer, murder of your creation, if, if you were God and you were looking at him, right? And I'm not saying that we are, I'm just saying as a thought exercise, isn't that it's a very interesting, how would you respond? As a fallen human who isn't easily offended and is guilty of holding grudges, I would be tempted to cut Cain's line off immediately, but God does not do this. Instead, he allows him to procreate, fulfill the mandate. And in, interestingly enough, Cain's line will be cut off at the flood. It is only Noah and the descendant uh, of Seth, the descendant of Seth, who lives through the flood. So Cain's legacy is short-lived and sinful. Well, we'll have to end our episode there as it's going long here, but uh, we've noted first of all here in verse 17, or the first part of it, 
that there is an aspect of the fulfilling of the cultural mandate. We'll continue moving through the text in our next episode. This has been another podcast of expositional excerpts with Pastor Matthew Pilch. If you'd like more information, please visit our church website at gfbc.net.